0: This is Keeping Track, and you're listening to Molly Huddle, Alicia Montano, and Roisin Magedigan-Dumas. We want to
1: highlight the important topics, inspiring stories, and amazing women in sport.
0: We're three Olympians from two countries, two moms, and one current pro coming together to talk about issues we're passionate about in the sports world. And we care about the current and future landscape of women's sports. And this is just how we're keeping track.
1: Today, we talked to Mary Wittenberg, a lifelong runner, current president of EF Cycling, former CEO of Virgin Sports Virgin Group, and for 17 years, she was the CEO and president of the New York Roadrunners. We talk about Mary's start in the sport and how she went from a law career to leading the NYRR, her visions for the sport, how she intentionally marketed the pro athlete, and how she advocated for the female athlete. We also talk about what her goals and visions are in the cycling space. Thanks for keeping track. A big shout out to Saucony for sponsoring our season two production costs. At Saucony, a good day is when we get to run. A great day is when we inspire someone else to run. Run for good and thanks for keeping track. Hey everyone, welcome back to Keeping Track. I'm here with Roshin. Alicia is away this month. So it's just the two of us. We're going to talk a little bit of track nerd talk and then
0: introduce our amazing guest. Hey Ro, how are you? I'm good, Molly. I'm staying alive. Got a new baby now. And uh, yeah, he's adjusting. And I'm glad to be back chatting with you, talking shop, geeking out with the all running talk. Um, my brain, my limited brain power right now, but I'm here. I'm ready to talk. What's the news in the track world?
1: Well, I saw Rory was watching his first track meet a couple of weeks ago. I don't remember which meet that was, but there yeah. have been world-class races going on. Um, I feel like we can't not talk about the world record in the 5k that went down a couple of weeks ago.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tell us what, what happened? Who got the time? What time did they run?
1: Um, in Valencia, it was set up to see if Latessa and Bet Day could break the 5k world record. Um, the men's 10k world record also went down. So it must've been a nice track. And, you know, there was some technology. I don't know if that helped as far as the light pacing, the
0: light rail okay. pacing. Um, We're just like chasing the time, chasing the pace, chasing the light.
1: Yeah. So when your pacer mm-hmm. steps off, mm-hmm. it's hard to find a world-class pacer. Like the oh, cool idea. Yeah, so that helped the last 2K. I think G'day could just stick on the lights and have a visual. And then, of course, there's new spike technology and, um, mm-hmm. you know, just maybe that helped. But I really thought that barrier was like not possible. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it was
0: pretty crazy. So the old record was what? And um, what the new record is now? So it was 1411. 1411. Okay. Mm-hmm. And now it's. And now it's broken. 1406. And I was just Googling, I was just Googling. I was just looking at my belief training journal and the pace chart at the back um, to see what kind of that works out per, per lap. And if we're looking at um, 1410, 5K, so it was a little bit faster than that, is like a 68, so under sub 68 second laps, which is sub 432 pace mm-hmm. per mile, which is some savage running for 3.12 miles. So, yes, wow, blazing. Um yeah. Yeah, so now that sub-14 seems more realistic.
1: Yeah, you have to think that's, like, the next frontier, like, the next mm. barrier, which is just mind-blowing. I really didn't think that was possible. It's As a former American
0: record holder in the event, like, that's that's a, mm. you know, are you just, like, shocked by that evolution of that?
1: I'm shocked. You know, I've been in a few world record attempts, though, where I do see how, like, perhaps one of the runners had that in them. Like, I remember... um Uh, it was me, Kim uh, and Amy Rudolph. All went to Stockholm in 2008 and, um, Meseret Defire was going for the sub 1411 and, you know, she had to go around, she lapped us. So she had to like go around wide and it was hot out and, um, you know, she missed it by one second. So you got to think if you could, she was in the ballpark, but 14 flat. I mean, I don't know. That, like, you got to think G'day would be focusing on that next or someone, you know, she was a silver yeah.
0: medalist last year. Mm-hmm. So that
1: means, um, mm-hmm. you know, she was beaten.
0: Mm-hmm. Read somewhere that Shelby Hunan was kind, of, yeah. kind of eyeing it. Yeah. She <laughs> mentioned it in an article that I read. I don't remember where I read it. That She dreams about the
1: 14 flat as her like crazy dream. Oh. And I just, I know. Yeah. I can't fathom that. I think I was a few, <laughs> a few steps behind that, but.
0: Amazing. Yeah. Yeah um so what else is going on then there's not been another world record in the half
1: yeah yeah well Joshua Cheptegei also crushed the 10k world record that same day so like mm. yeah my jaw dropped for that whole meet um and it wasn't a good atmosphere either because of COVID so like not as many fans mm-hmm. um and then yeah world half happened which unfortunately the U.S. and a couple other countries didn't send teams due to um you know worries about covid safety mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but the women's only world record um yes. was set as well
0: what did they run Molly? do you have that there
1: so there were a couple of falls um taking out some of the big players and it was an exciting sprint finish but we saw perez Jep to lower her women's only world record um she had run 65 34 and she took about 15 seconds off of that in this race um six women broke 66 minutes it was really deep field wow Um, so
0: again that's like sub five minute mile in yeah it's 458 (laughs) wow okay wow so
1: athletes are
0: are not slowing down this year um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know when you watch that molly in your home right and you your competitions are kind of wiped for the season you're doing some time trials and things like that i know do you get motivated when you see those races and, and see this on the spits they're doing? And how does it affect you?
1: I mean, I wouldn't really be able to run that time right now. So it's kind of like another you I'm almost watching it as a fan.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But does it motivate you that day? Like, for example, i just give you a pure example. I am really susceptible to what I watch on the TV. So if I watch you race some morning and you've like just broken American record or something, I like literally have a spring in my step when I go for a run that day. I'm yeah. Like, not that I'm trying to embody you or like, or anything, but I do feel like, oh my God, I just like, it does something to me. I don't know, the mirror neurons or whatever, but I'm like, oh, I need to run faster. Like, look at Molly, after do, you know, it does inspire me, like, if something happens to me, my physiology and um, when I watch sports, it makes me want to like do For it. Sure. For sure. So, yeah. yeah. I'm curious if that happens to you. It, so.
1: it does. Like after you, I watch like the Boston marathon, I usually like go crush whatever my long run is. That day. <laughs> so yeah, I definitely have that same experience.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So like have these races like fueled you in that way? Like have you been, you know, are you able to kind of use them in that way?
1: Not really just because I'm in such a different place. You know, Mm -hmm. I feel like it's weird how some athletes were able to just keep their trajectory going. Whereas I was more like, we're going to take a step back because the Olympics are off the table and I just Mm -hmm. don't have endless like um, pounding I can do to myself to get to Mm -hmm. that shape Mm -hmm. for no, for, for races that are uncertain. Like for me, it's just, I don't have enough of those left. Mm -hmm. So I get the athletes that are making it happen are taking those risks and Traveling and doing all that stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, different. So you're approach. kind of <laughs>
0: controlling your. Yeah, you're like saving it up now and we're kind of ready to go hard again next year. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think we're being realistic, so that's kind of the approach. But smart. it's not. Been... You
0: mean being wicked smart <laughs> Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. Sorry, it's a terrible accent. Um, cool, cool. So what else <laughs> is going on, anyways? Nice. Well,
1: we had an awesome talk with our guest
0: today Mm -hmm.
1: can we talk a little bit what what did you think about mary wittenberg i'll do a little intro mary wittenberg you know her as the ceo and president of new york roadrunners for many years and she is currently the president of pro cycling team education first so she switched still in the endurance world still a boss lady but into the cycling side of things now yeah
0: she was really great to chat to and hearing her story um and just about, you know, fighting to be on the or not fighting, but just always like, you know, in sports, being involved in sports and how that kind of let helped her take risks and like asked to run at Notre Dame, even though there's no women's team. And, you know, she feels like those kind of things were not no big deal because she was inspired by some of her heroes, um, Joni and um, others and they just made her want to run and, um, take risks and ask and, and it kind of transferred over into the boardroom as well, by the sound of it, bit right. She's yeah. I'm afraid to
1: yeah, she go for sure, where nobody's
0: gone before.
1: She for sure has that in her. Like it takes a special person to just be like, I'm going to go ask, there's no women's team. I'm just going to go ask to run with the men when it's not mm-hmm. like a thing that's normally done. And you know, you're going to get some pushback, but, um, yeah. you know, or to go into, you know, she, she was, leader in the sports industry when there weren't and still aren't that many female leaders in Mm -hmm. any industry really so female CEOs are um hard to come by so she just has always been able to stick up for herself and put herself in those places which I just find really interesting I wanted to see what her mind
0: is like (laughs) yeah exactly and same and it's kind of cool to like kind of talk to her because you're like oh like she's you know super kind of determined and creative and like, you know, positive. And Mm -hmm. you're just like, oh, okay, these are the things you like read about leaders having. And like, it seems like she really is like that.
1: Yeah. You feel hopeful and excited after you talk to her, we were talking about how we want Mary to give us pep talks in the morning.
0: So (laughs) no, yeah. And just on that, like, I don't know, um, I've just been catching up on the episodes that I wasn't here for. And I really just give shout out to that Shantae Lowe interview. I am blown away by her story and the layers of her story, the level at which she's achieved um, success at and the lessons she's learned and even her cancer and diagnosis and, and her determination to get the help she needed I, I was blown away by that story and i really recommend it if anyone hasn't had a chance to catch up with that um but otherwise it's good to be back i had to take some time off um and just rebuild my chi as i say to molly and um, after having a baby and i just you know the world does not stop um and it was a matter of like okay i have to stop and close the door to the world because wow, like the world just really doesn't stop. And um, it was a matter of like, I have to stay away or hide away from it because it's all just kind of encroaching on me. Um, and it was fun to do that and time flew. And um, But now it's nice to step back into the world a little bit here and there too. And uh, say hello and get back into more podcasts. Can't wait to have great ideas for people who are interviewing this of all. And it's really good to be back.
1: Yeah, I can't wait until it's all three of us again. So yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: Fingers crossed for November.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So thanks everyone for tuning in.
1: Enjoy hearing what Mary Wittenberg has to say.
0: Thanks for keeping track.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to Keeping Track. It's me and Roisin here, Roisin's first podcast back, and we have a great guest. We have Mary Wittenberg. Mary is the current president of EF, Education First Pro Cycling Team, but all the running fans probably remember Mary from her time as CEO of New York Roadrunners, and there's a lot more to her story that we're going to find out today. So welcome, Mary. Thanks so much for talking with us. Thanks so
2: much for having me. I think you are both and alicia been doing such great work with keeping track i love listening and i'm honored to be here on Rose's
0: first day back so congrats (laughs) on your (laughs) new baby thank you so i apologize in advance if i find it hard to get words out (laughs) it's also like a bit (laughs) sleep deprived but it's all good and um, Mary, we're so happy, you know, to talk track with you in athletics and well, track and field and running, um, and bring you back to you know geek out in the running world. Are you excited about doing that? Or are you kind of all in about cycling these days? Are you still involved with track? Are you still following the sport?
2: Oh, running is part of who I am. It's a bit like breathing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm thrilled to get to talk running for a while. And I was just saying to a friend this morning. I've loved being in cycling because there's a lot of overlap with running, but also gives me even better perspective of, of some of the best parts of running and, and it's good to get a little distance from something you love so much sometimes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Find new ways to kind of appreciate it and love it. Yeah. Yeah. Are any of those like, is there anything you're thinking about that like, we'd love to hear about? Well, it's interesting There are so many
2: similarities between running and cycling in that they're extraordinarily special in the world of sports. In, In my mind, that's because we have this marriage between being a professional sport where athletes like you and Alicia have devoted your life to being the best in the world. But then we have all the rest of us who... In times like these pandemics, this pandemic, it's about just getting out and moving and, and, and getting fresh air. And and before this, it was about connecting with other people. And we do that now, but it might be on the phone and virtually. But it's this range from regular person to professional athlete that mm-hmm. makes running and cycling so compelling to me. And so I think being away from it, just further highlighted to me how much I love that mix and how in times like these, you see... These are sports for life, uh, not just to watch on any given Sunday.
1: Yes. Speaking of sports for life, I do want to get back to EF because I do have a lot of questions about the cycling world. But um, you started as a runner. I know you still run. And for the people that might not know Mary's history, um, she's a former winner of the Marine Corps Marathon. Mm -hmm. And I know you trained a little bit with the guys back in the day at, um, ND law school. Um, Mm -hmm. so we have a Notre Dame connection there. Can you kind of talk a little bit about when you started running the challenges of finding women to run with and maybe how welcoming or not welcoming it was to have you, you know, chasing something that you find like energizing and empowering. And, um, we see what it's become today, but I feel like you were almost like in the pioneer days of running and you still are carrying that torch.
2: (laughs) I, I was lucky because the early pioneering by the Catherine Switzers and the Accusics of the world had been done, but I've been especially appreciating Justice Ginsburg these days, as all of us have. I am now proud that I began as a baton twirler and a cheerleader, mm-hmm. uh, but I didn't find running until my senior year in college. And when I did, to Molly's point, we didn't have as many women running at, at a collegiate level. And I actually with a rower and rode lightweight crew in college and our men's team didn't, we didn't have a women's team. So I was a coxswain on the men's team in college, started running my senior year where we had a couple women on the college team. And then I got to Notre Dame for law school. And I'm very proud of this sort of relationship I have with you and Molly Seidel, where when I got there, there was no women's team. And so I luckily was so inexperienced in running that I didn't realize how foolish it was probably for me to go to Coach Piani, the head of the men's program and say, hi, I'm starting in law school. Can I run with your undergrad men's team? And he said, no, why would I do that? And then he, he said, well, come, come run with me at lunch one day. And again, luckily I had no idea, uh, of what he could have been expecting. And we went for a run. He's like, you know what, you can come join. And I don't even think that's allowed anymore under, in, in civil aid rules, but, um, I was able to run with the undergrad men's cross country team. And I had a year of eligibility because I didn't run in undergrad other than one semester. And I was able to run as the only woman on the women's team, which didn't exist at Notre Dame as a first year law student um, going to the meets. the, The guys went to mainly, mainly home meets, but it was a, for me, it was one of those times where the big barriers had been broken, Joni and Catherine and Nina, they were all out there already, um, but it hadn't trickled down yet. So in the real world, there were lots and lots of schools that didn't have women's teams. Mm -hmm. And so there was enough uh, light and enough of a, enough of the path had been paved by those in front of us that we knew to go ahead and just create it where we were In like Mm -hmm. at Notre Dame, in my case. Um, So I feel lucky that the path had begun to, to, to be paved, and which made it a lot easier to go in there and not think twice about asking <laughs> to just go <laughs> run with the men's cross-country team.
0: That's amazing. So did you take an inspiration from those women who had kind of pioneered? Oh, 100%. Yeah. You know, I'm, you,
2: you might have heard me say before, I actually believe, don't worry if you don't see something that you envision. If you can't see it in front of you, just go make it. It's harder to do, but, but if we always wait to be shown... Maybe we're not going to go where we Mm -hmm. are meant to go and and can go, but these guys, they had already paved the way. So I followed Joni and I knew of Joni and my first, and certainly Catherine, I knew Catherine's story Um, and I got to know Nina's story once I got to New York Roadrunners, but my first marathon I did on a whim, my second year in law school, and you'll love this. The top three were Joni, Ingrid Christensen, and Rosa Moda. And it was my first marathon in Chicago was the day Joni ran 221.21 Ooh. in the wind. And I'm back there knowing nothing. I'd never run more than 13 miles, but I ran super hard all the time with the men's cross country team at Notre Dame. So I, uh, they were the icons and I looked up to them. I didn't even know that much about running, but I knew enough about them that I could go do this and I should aim to be as good as I could be. And that's what I hold on to all the time of why I feel so strongly about promoting professional athletes, because regular people don't have to know everything about you, but if they know a little bit They're they go, oh, yeah, well, I can go try to be my best too. And that's what they meant to me.
0: That's mm-hmm. really exciting because you, sometimes as people don't see the connection between pro and, you know, newbie runner or something, but you I feel like you have always kind of put the runners and professionals up on a pedestal in that way, in a good way, in like a healthy way. Um, and to see the potential for that to trickle down and have role models. And, you know, and it's interesting to hear kind of like your own experience of that and how you kind of incorporate that at New York Roadrunners, et cetera. I think my whole why in life
2: it has has really always been to help other people unlock their potential and mm-hmm. For me, sports is a big deal as a child and in my family, I'm the oldest of seven and I was not good at any of the classic sports. And I got so much out of the pursuit of trying and and celebrating not always being the best, but I could be the best hustler or I could be, you know, staying there or whatever it was. And then when I found things I was actually good at when it came to rowing and, and running, you know, I just gained even more confidence. And so I saw... What it did for me, I also saw it was a big advantage playing sports with men because in my career, I didn't think twice about saying it straight and expecting that I should be in the room and at the boardroom mm-hmm. table too, because that was the case with sports. But I, um, it helped me unlock, and still is, I mean, we're always growing, it helps me unlock my best. And so in wanting that for others, I've always just appreciated that professional athletes who rise and fall- every day, and don't have these straight trajectories, they can be really, really inspiring to regular people. And so I've always like to establish that connection wherever I can. And certainly same is true today with our pro cycling team.
1: Mm -hmm. I feel like as an athlete coming to a New York Roadrunner event when you were there, which is when I started professional running, you were there as CEO and president. And I noticed that, you know, we were always the best marketed when we went to New York, we always had the best interactions. I just felt like it was a really, um, you really maximized us as athletes and you really, we had the best experience there. So that's interesting to hear. That was from personal experience. Like what Rose said, can you tell us how you got to New York road runners? Cause I know you, you went from Notre Dame law school and then you didn't go right into the running world at a leadership level. Like you ended up, um, how did that happen?
2: Yeah, I went, for, so I was the oldest of seven. I paid for my own college. I didn't have these big horizons. I didn't, I love going to college tours with my boys because I didn't even go on a college tour. They, I went to a local school at home, Canisius College, and then went to law school. And I there was never a doubt I was going to do anything but go right to work because I had big loans. And, and that was just, a, I didn't think beyond that path, except I thought I could qualify for the marathon trials. So actually I was trying, I was trying to figure out, could I go to work full time and still try to qualify for the trials? So I went right from undergrad to, to law school to working in a big law firm. And my idea was I wanted to get a few years of experience in a big law firm. And then I wanted to work in, in sports. Um, and I thought a few years would be three years. And what happened was I got there and I, that's where I really grew up as a young lawyer and being able to handle red ink all over everything I did and the rigor of a big law firm and everything it demanded of us, I was growing immensely. And I found I liked doing deals and, and I found as women, there were only a handful of us. We had all these opportunities. I loved doing recruiting. I loved doing pro bono work. And all of a sudden, the years are ticking along and I hit 10 years as a lawyer never my intention. I'm not actually the strengths of a lawyer that are not actually my natural strengths. So it was a great 10 years of building sides of me that probably are not my most natural areas of strength, but There, I was never intended to be 10 years. I made partner, people are shaking my hands. I have tears in my eyes saying, Oh my gosh, this is not what I meant to do for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. So, actually, it was on the day I made partner that I committed to myself I couldn't just leave the next day that I was going to pursue my passion for sports because that's what I'd always intended to do. So, uh, a couple years later, I was actually interviewing at the NHL for a lawyer job. I didn't want to be a lawyer, but it was a way in. And a guy there, pulled me aside and said, this is great, but I'm on the board of New York Roadrunners and we need to reimagine this organization and really rebuild after this time of the passing of Fred LeBeau four years earlier, go to New York Roadrunners, come work for us there because he was on the board, as said. And that's how I ended up at New York Roadrunners. I didn't even know there were jobs in running really back then. And yeah. I never looked back. It was an amazing, lucky yeah. Moment for me to have that opportunity.
0: Yeah, it seems very synchronicity. Like you loved running, anyways, but you're going just trying to get into sport, and then boom, he's there. Like wow, that's a cool story.
2: I was very lucky. I had
0: written. I wish I had
2: him. I wrote probably a hundred letters late at night after work to all of these different sports organizations. I remember writing to Rudy Chapa at Nike, and I I, I really should find them because I I was committed to find something and. I, just incredibly fortunate that I ended up being running of all things. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like at New York Roadrunners, like one of the things I noticed, and I I think it started with you, is that you did a lot with for the women's field as far as having women start on their own starting line to get more media attention and more cheers from the crowd. <laughs> and I noticed whenever there was a mom racing, you really encouraged them. To bring their whole family, you gave them extra hotel rooms. Like, this is the stuff I would notice behind the yeah. scenes. Can you talk about, like, was that from your own experience or was that something new that you had to put into place? Well, it's funny because
2: I always thought it was because of my passion around women, but now that I work with an all men's team, I see I'm always the one who, wait, the rider's father's here, his wife's here, and she just had a baby four weeks ago. We've got to get her set up. So it's a bit of a holistic family few, but I am incredibly passionate about women's sport. It might be my number one favorite thing. And first, everything we ever did at New York Roadrunners was always a team effort. And Alan Seinfeld, the CEO then, also was very passionate about women's sport. But it was definitely purposeful for us. Like it was so clear. I almost felt my chair when I found out that women weren't paid equal prize money in running in Europe. I, what? I I couldn't believe it. And that, and it, you know, now we're talking about a time that it sounds like it was so long ago, it wasn't so long ago. And so immediately, one, we have to have equal pay. Um, two, in fact, as you might remember, Molly, when ING came in to be the title sponsor, we were looking at fun new things to do and and spice it up and actually take a stand and 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 use our voice is when we actually decided, well, this year women are gonna make more money than men uh, and prize money. And that was just part of the effort, same as starting the women. Um, By themselves at at the marathon. And certainly the mini speaks to the early days of commitment at New York Roadrunners, where it was the first ever all women's 10K. So it was really important to us to support the professional side. But again, why? Because there were all these other women to get to. One of the biggest and best moments ever was Paula Having Isla on her hip when she won the marathon, and I was ten mm. months old mm. and It was like this mom moment and now we know all these great athletes from around the world. women have won marathons with you know young kids, and we don 't want to rush people back, but the mo- main point was you can have children and still return to your career and be your best and mm. but so for me, it was still always that connection running was still very male at the very beginning there and at the recreational level and so the more we highlighted all of you guys, the more other women got inspired and saw what they could come out and do themselves.
0: Mary, what, many, what years were you at New York winners? What, what kind of time frame we you talking uh, about? 17 years. So it was
2: 1998 mm-hmm. to, I've been gone five and a half years. That, that, mm-hmm. that amazes me. Um. So October, 1998, my first event was uh, Greta's Great Gallup. And Alan handed me a bullhorn. I had never been on a bullhorn. It said, okay,
0: start the race. What? Mm.
2: And I quickly, quickly, uh, I can't imagine a better race to start on than Greta's great gal.
0: That's amazing. And then you're there 17 years. And so it's funny because like you just kind of saw that women, you know, who are mothers as well, like deserve to be able to take care of that way. And then yet we're here, you know, 2020 or even last year, 2019, when Alicia's campaign to kind of get equal pay for women through, um, maternity time and everything was this like big story. And, you know, you have kind of built that in many years in advance. And we interviewed a lot of athletes last year who talked about hiding their pregnancies, who talked <sighs> about getting caught, who talked about not knowing to, they could ask for their family to go. They want to feel like a diva, et cetera. And this is in the track and field world. So it's like, you know, yeah. They, even though you guys are doing a great job in New York Roadrunners, didn't we, really, the rest of like track and field maybe didn't didn't learn from you guys quick enough.
2: Everybody has to keep learning. Every yeah. single. I mean, if anything has told us the last few years and last year and this year, we still have so far to go. And mm. for me, the big bucket is one of the big the big topic is of equality. And if you look across mm. all these areas of society how we achieve true equality, um, remains, unfortunately, we, we need to really figure it out and, and, and we're not there and we were never there. And, and the things we did in the beginning were, were starting points, but we need to, we need to keep building. And, you know, it's funny because I remember when I got pregnant in New York Roadrunners, I almost fell off my chair when someone said, are you going to leave? Um, a senior, a senior person I said, am I going to leave? what do you mean, am I going to leave? No, I'm not going to leave. And suddenly it made me cover up and Mm -hmm. think, oh my gosh, my staff's going to think I'm going to leave this in this day and age. And that was Mm -hmm. 20, 19 years ago. Mm -hmm. So we still have a lot of work to do. We had a lot of work to do then. We have a lot of work to continue to do. And, you know, I think something really important in sports is leadership is vital because what we learned, Mm -hmm. what we really saw last year with Alicia and others, and I talked to Lindsay at one point and I was one of the people who said, well, I'm sure this doesn't apply to Allison Felix. So when when the story, I mean, let alone mm-hmm. it shouldn't apply to anybody. But I mm-hmm. was I was saying like there might be a situation where like mm-hmm. Serena Williams and Allison Felix are taken yeah. care of, and somehow everyone else isn't, which is totally unfair. But the fact that even at that mm-hmm. level was an issue mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. eye opening. But I think the lesson is athletes are never going to have leverage. Mm-hmm. They are young. I mean, they have a late in career but that's mm-hmm. where leadership comes in in all these companies mm-hmm. and i think it's time for people to to try to do any kind of deal with a little more win-win where it's not about the company you represent only how about the the person on the other side of the table and mm-hmm. and certainly with athletes it should be seen more as a team than just someone on the other side of a contract but if mm-hmm. we can't look at both sides it's going to take a really long time because it's really hard for young athletes and young people to have leverage in a negotiation ever
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: yeah that's a good point um you mentioned equality and i just wanted to pivot to some of your your ideas that you have, um, as a leader in the cycling world, like what are you guys doing differently right now? And, um, I feel like women's cycling is just so underappreciated and undersupported and I know you're on it. So (laughs) let's hear what you got.
2: (laughs) It's well, this very moment. So we're in the middle of, um, a big event, the, the tour of Italy. And I think what our team represents and I believe so strongly in is, Let's look out for our athletes first and foremost, right? And you know, somebody said something to me that they thought they were insulting me. They said, You've just spent 18 months trying to make cycling safer. <laughs> and I'm like, Yeah, that's about one of the biggest compliments I can ever get. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's inherently risky for sure. We get that. Mm-hmm. But how do we take care of people? Right. And mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean we shouldn't go downhill, but it does mean we should care what the strength of the barricades on the side of the road are like, and we should care about um, road closures and whether a motorcycle can come out and run into a rider. And we should care that if somebody hits their head really hard, how do we pause long enough to make sure they're not concussed? And Mm. we should care in the middle of a pandemic that um, even though young people supposedly aren't hit as hard, we don't know yet what it really does to people. So I definitely come from a point of view and our team does of, of, athlete health and well Um, and that that's really important to me, um, in general. And when I think about qualities, everyone deserves that same. And cycling is a really interesting sport. As you get into it, it is spectacular as a professional sport. It is riveting the strategy side. You can, you, you can lose six hours a day watching the Tour de France And it feels like 20 minutes if you know what's going on. Um, And I love that it's something everybody can do. And a lot more people are doing now, um, riding their bikes everywhere. The interesting thing is how it is because it was European born and there's so much history to it. It's a male dominated Mm -hmm. sport. So Mm -hmm. the professional women's sport is uh, strong in that there are great women athletes. It's not like they don't exist. There are great women athletes, but they are not covered. They do not have financial support. They're not going to have financial support until they're covered. So it's this whole, you know, mm-hmm. flat, you know, um, situation where it's, you know, what comes first and to start growing attention. So I'm quite excited to have the honor to work with some other women in the sport that are now looking ahead to women's cycling, and I see so very clearly that just like today, you go to the. London Marathon or the Chicago Marathon and the odds are good, the women's race is going to be more important than the men's or higher profile. Or you go to a big tennis open and the women's competition is going to be higher profile than the men's. I, we will see the same in cycling someday. We just got to build the way there. And I'm pretty excited about uh, about that happening, but it's certainly, it's, it's, uh, it's overdue.
0: So just a couple of things, like, you know, talking about the Tour de France, and um, I remember Googling um what's the what's the most watched sporting event in the world and I was shocked to hear like the Tour de France was like yeah. the top I was like wait there was. and I know it's like this I know that people are like mad into it and like that but there's their July is gone like it's written off but mm. um you know such a long event you know many many hours like you're talking about and yet people are riveted by it I'm wondering, like, is there anything we can learn is from track, you know, where they're always trying to cut out of the 10K or they're always trying to cut out of, you know, different parts of, of track events because it's not exciting enough or whatever. Is there stuff we can learn from the, is it just the commentators at Tour de France or is it just totally different? Is there anything that can uh, cross
2: over? I think for sure there, there's crossover. One, it's it's being part of something bigger than yourself. It is a mm-hmm. cultural Moment and phenomena in France. So people out there with their friends and their families. So it's like if you go to the London Marathon on Monday, the Chicago Marathon on Tuesday, the New York mm-hmm. City Marathon on Wednesday, and and off to you know the Paris Marathon on on Thursday. It's mm-hmm. it's yes. this huge happening that mm-hmm. what I think we try to do this in track in some areas. Um, it's all about attracting people to come out with their friends and their families, mm-hmm. right? So it's this mm-hmm. moment for the spectator. That's beyond the two seconds when the riders go by them. So there's a lot around the culture of the people coming out to watch and same people growing up watching on television. So definitely that making it a day out for everybody, um, mm-hmm. I think, is is something that's, that's critical to it. And then, you know, celebrating you know, as events grow, if people don't know the riders, they become heroes through through the event itself because of broadcast. And mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. we know is a really important thing in, in building the stars. And the one other thing I like a lot, even though when you watch the True Fronts, it, it does feel more individual, I love the team side. And I think mm-hmm. there's still more to figure out. We've got it at the Olympics where it's the, you know, different nationalities, but there's just something so compelling about teams. And I keep thinking watching all the different groups around the US, in thinking, boy, what if they really were a team? Like, what if Bowerman Track Club or Molly, your group, or Steph in the group and Flagstaff, or um, Allison Felix's Sprint Group, or you know Emma's group, or any of these group of athletes, track or road, what if they actually were teams? And what if Someone owned the team and and yes, Nike is a sponsor or Hoke is a sponsor, but so is TCS or or Away Luggage or whoever else. And maybe these athletes could could have health insurance and maybe they they could have contracts that you know set them up for a couple of years to be on a team. Um, so there's something I really like about the team from a competition and from a professional opportunity for athletes.
1: That's really interesting. To I mean, I know there's been talk of bringing a wider pool of sponsors in. Um, it does seem like track and field, for whatever reason, is you know just so individual and so fractured. But that would be cool. More support would always help. Yeah, even training groups and you know, just even if you didn't we
2: race together in cycling, right? The competition is won by the team and an individual too, but. Even just existing training groups, I think there's something sponsorable there, especially today with social media and all the content and storytelling that one again makes the connection to regular person out there even stronger and is full of opportunity for the right company sponsors.
1: Yeah, it would make it more professional and polished, I think, too. Right now, there's a lot of DIY in the track world where you're your own photographer, your own publicist, your own everything. And it's just, it could be leveled up for sure.
2: <laughs> well, there's also something great about. Uh, I feel strongly about all of you um, making your way in the sport because you are way more ready for the real world after track and field than you realize, including doing things like this podcast. And some of that's <laughs> been born out of necessity. I'd love to get to a point where it's not born out of necessity, but we you know where you want to add it on. Yes, we've yeah. been
0: made resourceful by track for sure. <laughs> Um, Mary, so you're making me excited about women's sport and uh, obviously I am as a female athlete or former (laughs) and and I do see the benefits and everything, but every now and again, you come across like um, haters that just kind of say like Molly's friend was doing a campaign about showing on the New York times, like how, how much of the New York times is showing women's sport, and it was like a little sidebar or like zero. And she 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 did an article about it in Canada, and some of the comments on on her article were just so shocking. And it just Molly and I like read them, and we were just like, "This is this is this is not can't be how people think in 2020. Um And what like how do you kind of if you ever get that kind of pushback from people, just say, "Oh, it's just not as interesting," or just you know, women should stay shouldn't do it, or like I I I'm just curious, yeah. like, like do you ever come across it or? Some of the comments, I'll just
1: for context, I think they were like, well, women's sports don't get the viewerships. So they don't deserve, like, it's the what comes first always. Do we put yeah. it on TV or do they have to make money first before they? So, yeah, a lot of that conversation. How do you answer those people? <laughs> well,
2: first, I think we say resolute in what we know, right? Mm-hmm. What we know is women athletes are extraordinarily compelling, and each sport has its own level of um, intrigue to it. And so, we're catching up in terms of building fan bases and building awareness and the like, but it is women's sport is gold. I think it's even, again, I think it's actually got more power than men's sport because we're great natural storytellers. And there's so much about women playing sports that it's incredibly compelling in every way. Um, so one, we have to stay resolute in our own, our own vision. Like anyone challenging that, it 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 doesn't really matter because they just don't know now what we can do is what i 'm always intrigued is trying to figure out okay so what's been their exposure trying to understand where are people coming from if they are saying something like that and what do they need to say some people you're never going to change their mind so don't worry about them but maybe maybe somebody never grew up with women athletes somehow and yeah. it seems foreign to us but could be possible and then maybe you can we can tease out what are they most interested in and and maybe that somehow affects how we broadcast something, but, um, Mm. you know, like we've learned along the way, I I don't think women's sports are a charity. I think women's sports are, are good because they're great, um, athletic performances. And, and I think these leagues and the like can be great businesses over time. And maybe that's something we could learn by listening to, you know what, don't treat it like a charity, treat it like, and, in mm-hmm. some cases an entertainment property and others as, as a business, um, not always does it have to be business. I love it as a movement and an inspirational movement too, but I just try to learn what I can, but we can't, we can just try to educate and don't lose too much time mm-hmm. educating the people who are never going to change their mind. Mm-hmm. Love
1: it. Yeah, definitely need more people like you in charge. Um,
0: <laughs>
1: that makes me think of back to cycling, like, um, as a sport, you have, you have ideas and motivation to grow it on, you know, this untapped potential on the side of the female athletes. And like, there is no female tour to France, right? Like that would be cool yeah. to have a women's tour. Um, but also do you see the sport expanding into other countries at the level it is in Europe? Cause it does seem like it's like super heavily supported by Europe and like the U.S. is in there. There's a few other countries in there. Do you see it spreading to countries with other great endurance athletes? Like, I know it's a sport that takes a lot of money, but like, could we see an African cycling team? Could we see, you know, teams from Ethiopia or Kenya or um, just like any other part of the world? Is that something that you see happening the way it's happened with track and field?
2: Yeah, I, I think there's so much potential for that to happen. First, one of the really amazing things about cycling is truly from professional cycling. It is truly global. I used to say we're global at the New York Roadrunners in New York City's global and the, the people who come to the marathon make it very international, but the world tour, we literally go around the world heavily in Europe, but South America and Asia and Australia and, and the US. Um, so it's global in events. Now what we need to do is be global in, in where are the cyclists coming from, right? And that also not only is it welcoming more women, also racial diversity is lacking in the sport of professional cycling. And so the chance to have more countries and more people riding and coming through the ranks to the top of the sport is is there. And I think it will, it will be the best thing that ever happened to the sport when that begins to happen. And you know, it's harder today to build. Like Europe was built on everybody being home and watching on television, you know, regular over-the-air television when there was that was the thing on TV. And now it's a lot harder, but it's it's so compelling. And if there's ever a time, it's so compelling for people to learn about. If there's ever a time, it's this moment when more people are on bikes, and it can be made affordable with the right programs around accessibility. So yes, I'm very hopeful we'll see all kinds of uh, professional and you know, cyclists of all sorts and nations around the world, not just Europe. And last point there, because I could go on for this, about on this one for an hour, you know, in, in countries like the Netherlands, it's, it's a way of commuting. And now we are starting to enter that world for the first time. Um, more and more in the US, and you know, hopefully, can become more of a way of life in places all
0: over the world. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, from this, like one thing from the pandemic, right? I've never seen so many. I live in Providence, Rhode Island, never seen so many runners out in the boulevard beside me. I'm like, am I in Central Park right now? Mm-hmm. And then, even in Ireland, like, people like I hear like bike stores are selling out, and like everyone's buying a bike or buying a pair of runners, right? There's something that you know brought everyone back to those sports and hopefully there th- there'll be a kind of a wave of like what will the potential from that being right? you having a bigger pool of people and um, yeah so it's interesting to think about that side of it too where
1: will the next great cyclist come from yeah it's like well limited in- potential
2: <laughs> here's what's so interesting and i'd love to do one of those campaigns about what do you look for because it's really it's about cycling at the professional level and it's a interesting at the amateur level this way too, because it kind of opens you up to a wider pool of people who might be good at it, is actually like an endurance sport going uphill. And then, so it's like marathon running or short hills are like a mile. Um, and then it's like downhill ski racing on the other. (laughs) It is you have to be fearless and have good hand-eye coordination and these complementary skills that don't necessarily fit with everybody that you would think of as an endurance athlete. Mm. Um, and that is really interesting. And it, so you end up in cycling too with all different kinds of races from racing in the Alps of the Tour de France to racing this big race called Tour of Flanders that we have Sunday, which is a classic over cobbles and takes like guys who are bigger. And so there's a wider array of types of people who, who might be really good at different aspects of cycling. It's a little bit like different aspects of running, but the need to be able to go to add in that risk, risk and race downhill part is really intriguing to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and different than running.
1: Yeah. You need to definitely be, um, Robert reminds me of your warrior versus warrior, mm-hmm. uh, blog. You need to weed yes. out the warriors. only warriors for the tour. <laughs> yeah. uh, you yes. can't be afraid.
2: Transform. So if, yeah. Exactly. If you had to guess, like one of the best, um, cyclists in the world right now is a former ski jumper. If you had to guess where you'd get the kids, they could come from skateboarding. They could come from downhill skiing. They could come, I mean, ours have come, you know, like Mike Woods, one of ours mm-hmm. is a great, was a great miler, but those, I also think it's why it's a young sport, right? Because you haven't learned enough yet to, you haven't experienced enough to be fearful. <laughs> your,
0: pre, your prefrontal cortex hasn't developed yeah, yet. <laughs> exactly. So um, the hand,
2: hand eye and risk-taking are important parts yeah. um, of the sport.
0: In Ireland, we're celebrating um, Sam Bennett won the green jersey. Yeah, yeah it a sprinter. big deal. Yeah, yeah, it's a massive deal. So. Yeah proud of him even though I don't know him but like it's just like the whole <laughs> yeah. country's like yay well, we have a winner <laughs> that's why I love that part it's
2: got a bit of Olympics to it in that mm-hmm. no matter what team these teams we have 17 nationalities on our team and one of our guys just won uh, a stage in the Giro d'Italia and he's from Ecuador and it's just so cool to see his family home in Ecuador and it's the first time in Ecuadorian ever won a stage of the Giro and Mm-hmm. That's just so much fun, and we just had a guy from Portugal win a stage. It's the first time in 31 years that someone's won, and I had flashbacks of Shalane winning the marathon 40 mm-hmm. years, first American in 40 years. I'm like, oh, oh, Ruben's the first Portuguese, and it actually ended up not being true. It was it was sooner <laughs> than that, but it was a long time, and it was a big deal to to Portugal. And I love that national part that comes in.
1: Yeah, you know. that that ripple of news that it
0: sends through the country and yeah. all the new cyclists it inspires. It's pretty cool to see that. I
2: love yeah. that.
0: Yeah, the potential to kind of catch the bug by watching something like that, you know, it's just kind of like something's happening through the the ethers and people are like, oh, I want to do that thing now. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, the potential by having that exposure to these um, great races and stuff. Exactly.
1: Mary, um, we could talk for like probably another hour, but we wanted to know uh, the question we always leave off with with our podcast is um, here on Keeping Track, we want to better tell stories of women in the sports world. Um, what would you want people to know about your story or what do you want people to walk away with from your story? Oh, wow. I should have been ready for that, right? Um, mm-hmm. I Or just what, just what do you want to say? <laughs> what I want
2: to say is I think what I personally value so much that I know now, we get to just keep going and learning. Like, let's keep, like, it's not about last week's race. It's not, especially athletes, especially as you get older, you think, "Uh uh-oh, like, I'm not going to be a great athlete anymore. There's so, if we're lucky, there's so much life in front of us. And if we're lucky, we can keep learning. And, you know, if we're not doing well at something, if our sport or our self isn't where we want it to be today, go get better. Like, let's come out of this pandemic as a society better. I want my organization to come out better. As a leader, I want to come out better. I want to learn from something I wish I'd done yesterday that I didn't or something I made a mistake in. And you know what? When you screw up something, there's tomorrow. So just get out there again and, and be better. So both in life and sport, I learned that that's the opportunity we have in front of us. And I love that.
0: Yeah, that's Really motivating, Mary. Thanks. Yeah, we love it. Um like, you just like send us like voice messages every morning. And, like, like, you got it. Let's go. Mary's gonna give us
1: a pep talk. So
0: fun, fun. Thanks so you much, guys. Mary.
1: Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule. We know EF is in full force, so everyone go mm-hmm. find a way to watch. Do you want to drop a way to watch actually for our uh, listeners?
2: Follow just follow us on our website and our socials, so EF and you can find our Insta and the like and uh just a couple more events and we're wrapping up the season but just if we can help you get on a bike and get moving or help you run uh happy do happy you bike to, or run do more that. that's
0: the question do you bike well
2: or run? i'm hurt for the first time in a long time oh, no. uh i was running every single day uh but now i'm on the bike more um and i'm lucky to have both do you like
0: it i'm terrible. i love it i love it i love
2: it I, you know what i would like to do i would like if i could start the bottom of the hill and ride for an hour straight uphill and get a huge workout, but then mm. I don't want to have to go flying down the other side. So I'm not <laughs> one of those people that's so good at that yet. But yeah, I love it. Now you got more God sense. Time. You just got yeah. more sense. Exactly. I'm with you on that one. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks so much, right. Mary. Great. You, so Mary. much to talk. So great to talk to you both. Thanks for all your great work.
1: Bye, Mary. Bye.
2: Bye. Bye. Keep chatting. Keep chatting.
0: track, track You already know the track track, keep
2: track.
0: Keep track. Keep track. Keep track.
1: Major shout outs to What Cheer Writers Club Podcasting Studio, a nonprofit supporting Rhode Island's content creators and where Roshin and I record, and to Rudy Nakashima for our funky
0: outro song. Thanks, guys. Entertainment right there. Hey
2: there, my name is Michael Laminato and this is Pit Pass F1, a brand new podcast that will take you closer to the action of the world's most prestigious motorsport. From Monaco to Miami and Australia to Azerbaijan, Pit Pass F1 is on the ground and has you covered. Esteemed F1 journalists Julianne Serasoli and Chris Medland will take you inside the sport every round. Pipass F1, a brand new show for Evergreen Podcasts.